When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Bulletin. Right, uh, let's get across to uh, Andrew Gordy, as we love to do on a Wednesday morning in particular. And Gordy, we had this all uh, mapped out as to what to talk to you about. And all of a sudden, uh, we've seen a terrific performance by the Black Caps uh, to level a series. And how about Erin uh, Routliff and her partner uh, getting through um, to the semi finals of the women's doubles at a major? Hey, this is huge, isn't it? Morning, Smithy. Morning to all the listeners. Yeah, I must admit this hasn't really been on my on my radar this morning. Um, but I've just, you know, Brian's just called me on the phone. Sounds like you guys are all wrapped up and fizzing in there on a on a Wednesday morning, which is great to see. Great result for um, for her, and great result for New Zealand tennis. Obviously, we love to see uh, love to see Kiwis, just especially in the in the big sports, don't we? Like, and and I suppose that's what I've really enjoyed about you know, I suppose over the years, like to have even you know Brendan Hartley, Liam Lawson. Stephen Adams, like, you know, athletes, I suppose, who are performing in the big sports and truly global, global sports on the biggest stage of all at major championships, and that's exactly what she's doing here. So, no, it's a great result, great, and great to see, like I say, for New Zealand tennis, brilliant stuff. Yeah, it's very feisty too. I've got to say there's a lot of action, I think it's fair to say, crowd involvement for a women's doubles match. It had a bit of feeling about it, but there was also a good feeling too coming out of Trent Bridge this morning uh, when uh, Glenn Phillips in particular uh, and then Mark Chapman saw us through to a very comfortable win to square the series. Yeah, great to see, eh? And look, I, look, I, I sort of temper my enthusiasm a wee bit. Like, this is 2020 cricket. We've obviously got a one-day World Cup on the horizon, different formats, different conditions, all those sorts of things. But you'd certainly rather be seeing a performance like that and, you know, a team coming back from... 2-0 down uh, and finishing the finishing the series on the right note. Uh, and it's the manner of the way they did it. Very, very professional, I thought. Um, I've actually been really impressed with Glenn Phillips in particular. Like That guy has just become such a, a key figure. Um, and I know he doesn't get it right all the time, but I feel like he's making, he's having fewer of those brain explosions, if you know what I mean. But he's a, yeah, he's a real X-factor player, isn't he? And, and I suppose, uh, in another manner, I think Mark Chapman has just really shaped himself as, as, as quite a safe pair of hands. Um, he's almost got, I, I won't sort of necessarily say the same uh, ability necessarily, but the same sort of temperament as someone like Kane Williamson. I mean, he's, he's got like a, what seems like a pretty calm and steady head on his shoulders. And um, for a guy who, I always sort of feel sorry for someone like Mark Chapman because he he, he only comes in every now and then sort of thing. He's only part of the squad occasionally, I suppose, or he certainly has been over recent years. But now is the time when you start seeing the benefit of that, that sort of constant blooding on occasion and a guy who's for, sort of forced to take his opportunities on the rare occasions that they do come. And this morning was one of those perfect examples, I think. So, yeah, hats off to both Glenn Phillips and Mark Chapman. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, things are sort of, sort of looking up on a couple of, uh, in a couple of regards heading into this World Cup smithy. Okay, so Gord's um, apparently Papatoi, I think, is uh, where they're going to name this uh, particular World Cup squad. Um, Monday, I think, uh, maybe as well. So they'll only have played really two out of the four games in England, which means Gary said must be pretty much settled. 
uh, you're expecting Phillips to be in there. Would you, um, on basis of what you're saying, not really expecting Chapman to be going to the World Cup? Yeah, look, Smith, I knew you were going to ask me this. And honestly, I, mm. trying to do the permutations on this is a real challenge, isn't it? And it's only become, I would argue, a little bit harder now that we know that Kane Williamson's going to be named. Look, I, I, of course, you know, you know what I'm going to say about this. I, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that Kane has made this quite miraculous recovery from a knee injury to be, to be, in, a, be in a position to be named in a World Cup squad. Having said that, and look, of course I would have him there because, frankly, the Black Caps have no chance of winning a one-day World Cup in India without someone uh, of Kane Williamson's ability, his leadership, his temperament, like he just adds so much. But we know that he's not 100%. He can't be 100%. And that's a massive risk going into any World Cup where in an 11-man team you only carry a 15-player squad. So they are going to have to make... Uh, they're going to have to accommodate him, especially, and they're going to be carrying him, aren't they, for at least the first few games of this tournament. And that's going to mean bad news for someone along the line. Now, now, does that mean that they carry one less fast bowler or do they, they make a, a cut somewhere else in the squad? I don't know. But certainly for the start of this tournament, you'd have to say that the Black Caps are probably going to be perhaps undermanned and they're going to have to make a sacrifice that's somewhere in the squad. And honestly, Smithy, I can't sit here and say confidently that I know where that, that sacrifice is going to be made. What I hope, though, is that the Black Caps, uh, whatever squad they settle on and whatever players they choose, can get this team through to a point where Kane Williamson is then fit and able to participate and give themselves a real chance when it comes to the knockout stages of the competition. Right, uh, let's turn our attentions to Saturday New Zealand time where we have breakfast uh, with the All Blacks and uh, dinner with the Warriors and two of the most eagerly awaited clashes uh, mm. for quite some time. Uh, we haven't even really focused on uh, naming the All Black uh, 15 or 23. Um, news that maybe Geordie Barrett might be still a possibility there. What are you expecting, Goods, uh, when uh, we wake up tomorrow morning and this team is basically named? Oh, look, Smithy, just judging by everything that, or, the, or the murmurings, I suppose, that seem to be coming out of Lyon, I'd, uh, and, you know, just mainly basing that off our, our man on the ground, Ollie Ritchie, it sounds uh, though, as though we'd be pretty surprised if, if Geordie's risked for this fixture, um, which is a blow, right? He's, uh, he's been a, a very, very steady hand, a steady influence. Uh, we know what he brings uh, in that number 12 jersey. He's, he's a kicking option as well, obviously. Um, which always helps. So that's a, that's, a, that's a blow. And another blow when you consider, you know, they already have a number of starters who are, who are not going to be taking part in this fixture against France. And what I would argue, and we were discussing this the other day, has there been a more blockbuster opener to a Rugby World Cup in the history of the tournament? I think the, only, the closest we came to was host England up against uh, defending champions, the All Blacks, in 1991. But... This, this fixture just seems to have um, a different sort of level about it, I think, and maybe that's because of the passion of the French and, and the occasion that's um, you know, sh sure to present itself on, on Saturday morning. But I, I know, I've heard you guys talking this morning about, about the favouritism, I suppose, of, of the All Blacks. There is no way in hell that I can, I can brand the All Blacks favourites for this World Cup. Now, does that mean that they can't win it? Absolutely not. They, they can win this World Cup. But, and I've said this before, I think, on, on this very show, 
This is the most wide-open Rugby World Cup I think there has been in history. Can the All Blacks win it? Yes, they can. Am I confident that they'll win it? Do I think they deserve to be favourites? Absolutely not. How can you make the All Blacks the favourites for a World Cup when they have literally just come off the biggest defeat in their history against the South African team who were rampant all over them from the opening whistle? And you can, I've heard the excuses from the usual suspects that, you know, the, the All Blacks aren't, aren't peaking and, and they're not sort of... Well, you should be. This is a Rugby World Cup. And if you're not ready for the opening game of the Rugby World Cup, well, then I think there needs to be some pretty serious questions asked. And I, I frankly couldn't believe some of, the, some of the talk that we were hearing out of, out of France, whether they were trying to just pile more pressure on the French or whatever. But, but what, lowering the expectations of all Blacks fans that they, they may not be at their best for the opening game of the World Cup? I, I just I cannot believe that that is the kind of narrative that we're being um, expected to swallow here. Like, the All Blacks need to be ready to go for this opening game of the World Cup. And if they're not... Can you imagine, Smithy, the sort of pressure that will mount on this team, um, having come off a, a record defeat and then potentially uh, a defeat to the hosts in the opening game of a World Cup, untold pressure will mount on this team. They have to go out and win this game on Saturday. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make, actually, because I, I think if you look at the, the way this, this World Cup is perceived, Gord's, most people, have, um, if you talk about a match in general, they've talked more about a quarterfinal than the opening match. Uh, for the All Blacks. Everyone's looking at the quarterfinal uh, as opposed mm. to pool play, which may be a bit dangerous. It is dangerous, Smithy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's foolish to look too far ahead, isn't it? I think, you know, in history, we've, uh, we've probably been taught that. I suppose there's no, been no finer example than 2007. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think the All Blacks have shown the type of consistent form. I think they have shown that on their day, yep, they can absolutely beat anyone, and especially... You know, you don't have to look any further than the performance they put on at Alice Park against South Africa. Total backs-to-the-wall scenario. You know, you had a coach who was under, under the greatest pressure I'm sure he's ever been in his life. And, uh, and the team comes out and produces a performance like that. So we know they've got it in them. And they can beat anyone on their day. And that's why I, I absolutely put a caveat on everything I say, is that if the All Blacks can make the knockout stages of this World Cup, and I'm sure they will, then you're only ever three wins away from, from you know, lifting the damn thing. So, and, and knock out a sport, and any, and any sport is like that, isn't it? Once you get yourself into a position, it really just becomes, you know, comes down to putting together, stringing together three performances to get to where you want to be. And, and of course, this All Blacks team can do that, but I can also see France doing that. I can also see South Africa doing that. I can, I can also see Ireland doing that. I, I agree with you, Louis, 100%. You know, I, we, we can talk about... And I've heard other, you know, former players talking about the fact that, um, you know, if the All Blacks were to meet Ireland in a World Cup quarterfinal, that, that you know, the All Blacks have history on their side and, and all that sort of thing. I, I'm sorry, I just, I, just don't, I just don't buy that. You look at that All Black squad at the moment, how many players can look around their, their, their change room and say, lads, we've been here and done this before? There's only a handful now that, that are left over from, mm-hmm. from 2015. Most of them have the scars, I'm, I'm sure, that still still burn pretty, um, pretty solidly, I suppose, from that semi-final defeat to England in 2019 in Japan. But they don't have that anymore. They don't have the aura, I suppose, that they had in 2011 or, you know, certainly 2015. We'll say that for sure. Um, you know, Sam Whitelock doesn't have too many friends uh, to, uh, in that changing room to look around from and say, yeah, I remember when we went all the way in 2015. So I just don't think they necessarily have that behind them. You've got Bowden Barrett, obviously, but there's very few of them left. And, and I don't know that those players would have the same confidence looking around 
And, and I think Ireland would feel that. They've known that they've gone to New Zealand, they've, they've beaten the All Blacks in a series. What reason would they have to say, we can't do this again? Andrew Gordy, absolutely on point again, as always, on a Wednesday morning. Have a terrific day, my friend, and I can't wait for the weekend of sport ahead. Cheers, man. Absolutely. Cheers, man. Cheers, uh, Andrew Gordy there, who are the folks. It is uh, 10.53 here on SENZ.